real news. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. Today is February 3rd, 2020. And believe it or not, this month is over in 26 days. Uh, leap year, shortest month, huh? And a lot's been going on in January that made it move fast. But now in retrospect, think of it. Doesn't it feel like ages? Again, time and the perception of time. So personal, yet so commonly shared, isn't it? Today, I'm going to be talking about some people that have been overlooked. And the only reason that we're going to be talking about them is because their uh, office and their posts are coming into the spotlight. It is very important that we point out the plants. Now, we'll, we'll talk about that after we just recap. I want us to listen to President Trump's interview portions of it. And then I want to remind you what Adam Schiff said. And then we're going to move on to uh, breaking things. Names that I've been tweeting every now and then, talking about as nameless, name them. Now we're going to talk about them and what they do and who they are. But like I said before that, I wanted to say something. When I was a child, I traveled. I had the opportunity to travel a lot. I traveled um you know, most of the time in the summer, like every Greek American kid gets shipped out to its grandparents, right? For the, for the summer and the parents get a break. Well, um, I remember talking with my grandfather. I was a young kid and he was explaining to me how his friend's daughter lost her job because of the elections. And I'm thinking, well, why are people losing their jobs when a new government is elected? And he said something to me that didn't resonate to me uh, till way later in life. When you're a federal employee in agencies like, uh, you know, uh, the Department of Treasury or uh, Interior, Department of Interior, Health and Human Services, um, the DOD, DOJ, OMB, you know, uh, in positions where you can actually cause damage, you shouldn't be in there for longer than the term of the administration that you entered in. And and, and hear me out on this. A lot of federal employees that listen to me are going to be like, come on. Well, you can't help but get politicized. So when we have people within the GSA or the OMB that are politically charged, that are fan-crushing on loser administrations. Well, I like to call them loser administrations, socialist grooming administrations, communist grooming administrations, whatever. That clearly, clearly cannot be impartial when executing their duties that causes harm. And I think the Greeks had it right back in the day when that used to happen. Now it doesn't happen. They created something called permanent positions. <laughs> so, uh, that was a wise thing that I looked down on and realized later in life, just how important it was. It helps maintain impartiality. It's kind of like why, uh, within some federal agency jobs, 
and um, in the military, we get rotated every four to six years. And the reason isn't because, all right, you know, you need to go. You're not good at that place or whatever. It's because people get comfortable. And then people start to have seniority, if that, you know, for those of you in the private sector, you get what I'm saying. Oh, that guy's been here like 10 years, you know, and it's like everybody kisses his tush, even though he does nothing but organizes, you know, post-it notes. Um, You know, he's been here for forever. It's not like they're ever going to fire him. In the government, when you get comfortable, you make connections. You get um, embedded within the local community, local, you know, city, state, authorities, police, etc., and you become chummy. And when you become chummy, you begin to become human, which is I'll do you a favor. Now, that's talking if you're, you know, the good kind of person. If you're the bad kind of person, those favors tend to not favor the people, right? So... When I was delving into getting some more details that were publicly available, okay, because I'm not going to be discussing anything that's not publicly available. Uh, So when I was delving into that, I realized just how important this is. And this is why I reinforced the notion where I said he needs to fire everybody, even through the janitor. Because there are people that have been skirting under the radar that have all gone to the farm. Some of them have relations because you'll see all of them either work for like, um, what is it? Red Cross, uh, d- uh, something without, anything without borders. So nurses, doctors, teachers, blah, 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 without borders, Red Cross, UNICEF, uh, peace, uh, green peace, world peace, white peace. It's actually called white hat peace. I kid you not. Um, and it's short for white peace, but you know, that's not racist because you know, whatever we pick and choose what we like. So all of these people that have these, you know, stints in these organizations are usually the covers for when they go to the farm, just so you know. So when you see it on a resume, unless they're, you know, nine times out of 10, you know, (laughs) they've gotten some special training. But anyway, I was looking into this and I was just like, oh man, Schiff gave it away. Schiff totally gave it away and this is why we're going to talk about it. And you're going to realize why the president has such a big problem. A big problem in actually doing his job. And now Scott Adams has started talking about Kofor Black. I don't think it's time yet for me to start talking about him because remember, I told you who are they? Well, Kofor Black is the next step of they. He's above George Soros, just so that you understand. Um, So I'm going to wait till I talk about CF later because he was Brennan's boss. All right. So we're talking people you haven't heard of, names that you've be like, what? And positions that you never, that you can understand from a layman's perspective, oh yeah, definitely can be a corrupt position. Definitely can cause us harm, especially when one of them gets a job like congressional liaison. The other one is within the GSA and, and you know, they work with money allocation for contractors overseas, you know, like blimps and stuff. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. And um, people that work directly within the executive office, uh, you know, all of these people, except for the congressional liaison, all of them work within the executive office. 
So I know everybody loves to talk about Anthony Sierramella, or everybody knows him as Eric Sierramella, right? His name's Anthony. Um, everybody wants to talk about him, but he's like, he's a front-facing guy. He's not covert. And, you know, oh, don't say his name. They're just trying to give it merit, okay? Because like I said, if you're if you're a supposedly a clandestine and you've been made, there's no hiding your name after that if it's been out in the public or your face. So what they're doing is pure theatrics. The judge not reading, pure theatrics, right? Because he doesn't even, he didn't even have the right to not read it. He's the judge. He's supposed to be impartial. Unless there's been a court ruling that says you can't say it, he should have read the name. So here's where we're going into theatrics. Oh, and you know, this whole thing of, oh yeah, we lost the vote, but we're gonna, they didn't lose the vote. They decided which one of you is going to pretend to, you know, side with Trump because we can't have this stuff about Hunter and Barack and all these people coming out. So we got to give them something to shut them up while we buy time and use another strategy. That's basically what happened. And then we hear his laptop was stolen. Really? That's what you call stolen. You think it was stolen? When we tell you we've hacked it, it means we're telling you, tell us. And we're going to have some loser in some out in the middle of nowhere release those emails. Tell us or else we're going to make up some, you know, English or German or Romanian or whatever hacker. Just make up a name like you know, foofisser and, you know, have them release these oh, hacked emails from Supreme Court Justice Roberts or oh, all this stuff on Ukraine or, you know, all these emails from Newsom and his California army going to the Ukraine, you know, we're just going to release them because John Solomon had them all and his laptop was compromised. And then we have, you know, the Epstein emails, the Ghislaine Maxwell emails. So those are veiled threats. That's how you make a threat to someone when you tell them what you got, right? Because if I'm like, hey, I got, I got this, you know, and you're just like, all right, whatever, because you don't care. But when you care, you're like, oh, that's nice. Oh, okay. So I better not push on this because then that person that's got this will probably share that I got this. Usually the question is, did you give it to anyone? Right. And here it's, they've been hacked. We don't know by who someone stole the laptop. We don't know by who <laughs> that's the adult way of putting fire under people's tushies. Now, I think um, today, before we get into Adam Schiff and listening to him and the president, I thought we can um, take a listen to a song for uh, that I dedicate to the Democrats. Okay, let's dedicate this to the Democrats uh, because, uh, you know, the Democrats need a little bit of help here. <laughs> they need to relax. Relax, don't do it when you wanna go to it. Relax, don't do 
Okay, Frankie went to Hollywood with that one, and he was talking about relax. Relax, Democrats, because you lost. Relax, liberals, because you lost. Relax, communism and socialism, you lost. And no matter how many schemes you scheme, it's never going to happen. The United States will remain free since Donald Trump is safe and since he is President of the United States, keeping our Constitution safe from those that wish to dismantle it. Now, I think it's important that we listen first, first to Trump when he spoke. Our amazing president spoke uh, during the Super Bowl uh, with Hannity. So I think uh, it's important we listen to this interview. For those of you that missed it, uh, take a listen. It it was a really good interview. Super Bowl Thank you very much, John. Thank you. Obvious question. Impeachment, third time in history. Acquittal, uh, pretty much now a formality. Been through a lot. Your reaction to all of it? Well, it's been very unfair uh, from the day I won. Uh, and I really say from far before the day I won, from the day I came down the escalator with our future first lady who's doing such a good job. To be honest with you, I think it's uh, it's uh, probably it probably started from there. It's been a very, very unfair process. Uh, the Mueller report or Russia, 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 as you say, which was total nonsense. It was all nonsense. The whole thing was nonsense. But it was a very unfair and mostly it was unfair to my family. I mean, my family suffered because of all of this and many other families suffered also. It was a very, very, it's a very serious thing. It should never happen to another president. 275 days from now, I guess the ultimate jury, the American people go to the polls. My question is, is, is this a campaign issue for you? Do you let it go? Do you see a path that you could work with Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and the, and the Democrats? Well, I'd like to, but it's uh, pretty hard when you think about it because uh, it's been... Uh, such, I use the word witch hunt, I use the word hoax, uh, I see the hatred, I see the, the level, they don't care about fairness, they don't care about lying, you look at the lies, you look at the, um, you look at the reports that were done that were so false, the, the, uh, the, the level of hypocrisy, so I'm not sure that they can do it, to be honest, I think they just want to win, and it doesn't matter how they win. In the meantime, I really believe this administration, me and this administration, we've done more than any administration in the history of our country. We've rebuilt our military. We've cut taxes at the highest amount ever in the history of our country. I mean, you see what's going on. There's, there's a revolution going on in this country. I mean, a positive res revolution. So African-American, Hispanic-American, Asian-American, we have the best numbers we've ever had. African-American, the poverty numbers are now reversed and they're the best that they've ever had. So I don't know how anybody could possibly beat me with that vote. So we'll see how it does. There were four separate investigations, Trump, Russia, collusion, culminating in the Mueller report. Now it's Ukraine. Does this hurt you? Does any part of this hurt you? What is, or what has hurt you the most about it all? So, Sean, I think that with the economy being the best probably it's ever been in the history of our country. I mean, it is the best it's ever been. The unemployment numbers are the best. I should be up by 25 points. 
What they've done is they've really all the all the media, I call it the fake news, and it is fake news, so much of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the fake news is they don't want to report the good stuff. They don't want to report that the economy is good. Well, any of this, because uh, now, as I said, it's pretty much a fait accompli. Looks like Wednesday at 4 p.m. it'll be an acquittal. Um, you then move on from there. But the state of the we have Iowa caucuses Monday, state of the union Tuesday. This happens on Wednesday. Any thought to delay the State of the Union? No. Uh, I'm going to have it. Uh, It's going to be done. We're going to talk about the achievements that we've made. Nobody's made achievements like we've made. So many different things. I'm so proud of what we've done for our vets with choice. We got them choice. We got accountability where we can take care of our vets, where we can get rid of people that aren't taking care of our vets. I've known you for a couple of decades. This is going to be hard for you. This is called our lightning round here. Um, I'm just going to throw out a name. Whatever comes to your mind. Okay. We'll start with Joe Biden. I just think of Sleepy. I, I just watch him. He's Sleepy, Sleepy Joe. Hunter. Hunter Biden. Where's Hunter? Where Where's is he? He made millions of dollars. He went from having no job, no income. He had nothing. As you know, he had a very sad experience in the military. He has nothing. To making millions and millions of dollars a year. Not just from Ukraine. From China and from other countries. How can you do this? This is crooked as hell. What they did is very dishonest. Bernie Sanders. Well, I think he's a communist. I mean, you know, look, I think of communism when I think of Bernie. Now, you could say socialist, but did he get married in Moscow? And that's wonderful. Moscow is wonderful. Might have been the honeymoon. You don't think necessarily. Well, whatever. But you don't necessarily think in terms of marriage, Moscow. And it's wonderful. I'm not (laughs) knocking it, but... I think of Bernie sort of as a socialist, but far beyond a socialist. Elizabeth Warren. At least he's true to what he believes. That's one thing. Because you mentioned now Elizabeth Warren. She's not true to it. I call it a fairy tale. Because everything's a fairy tale. That's how Pocahontas got started. Everything's a fairy tale. This woman can't tell the truth. Michael Bloomberg. Uh, Very little. I just think of little. You know, now he wants a box for the debates to stand on. Okay, it's okay. There's nothing wrong. You could be short. Why should he get a box to stand on, okay? He wants a box for the debates. Why should he be entitled to that? I, really? Then does that mean everyone else gets a box? I guess if they want one, I have to negotiate well, the other thing boxes. Very interesting. Uh, Cory Booker and all these people couldn't get any of the things that Bloomberg's getting now. I think it's very unfair for the Democrats, but I would love to run against Bloomberg. I would love it. Hillary. I think of emails. I think of the email scandal. How she got away with that is a disgrace. I think it's a disgrace. Pelosi. Uh, I think she's a very confused, very nervous woman. I don't think she wanted to do this. I think she really knew what was going to happen, and it's uh, her worst nightmare has happened. I don't think she's going to be there too long either. I think that the radical left, and she's sort of radical left too, by the way, but I think the radical left is going to take over. You've got the Democrats. They're vying to go up against you in 275 days. Is there one candidate running more than another that you t- like? I have to sit back and watch. I mean, I look, Doesn't matter I'm, I'm watching and, you know, I have little nicknames for all of them. But <laughs> but uh, you just I'm sure and, they and love I your think, nicknames. No, but I, they're accurate. You know, I mean, they're very accurate. You look at Sleepy Joe. They're, what's going on with him? He's having a hard time. Uh, you look at Bernie. I call him Crazy Bernie. Uh, they now, they're sort of rigging the election against him again. I see what's going on. They're rigging it against him. Coronavirus, Disney's closed. Yeah. Movie theaters are closed. Hospitals being built. I think we're now up to our eighth case in the United States. 
Um, how concerned are you? Well, we pretty much shut it down coming in from China. Uh, we have a tremendous relationship with China, which is a very positive thing. Getting along with China, getting along with Russia, getting along with Have you, have you offered the Chinese president help? With the oh, yeah. Well, no, we've, we're offering them tremendous help. We have the best in the world for that. We've done a tremendous job in many other instances also on that, even recently. Uh, no, no, we've offered China help. But we can't have thousands of people coming in who may have this problem, the coronavirus. So we're going to see what happens. But we did shut it down, yes. I love sports. I think sports mirror life. You know, you got to learn to win. Sometimes you don't always win. I know you're not sick of winning, is my guess. Um, but also, the harder you work, the better you do. That's very Americana. Um, what do you love about sports? Well, it is. It's sort of a little bit of a microcosm of life. You know, you have winners, you have champions, you have people that you expect to see that final play. You have great coaches like Belichick. Uh, you have people that you expect more out of. And oftentimes they produce. Then you have people that you just don't expect they're going to do it. And oftentimes they don't. It's a microcosm of life. Mr. President, thank you thank for your you. time. Thank you very thank much. You for all right. So that was that. Uh, that was an actual very concise interview, right? Uh, concise interview, uh, pretty simple, uh, stated a lot of things, um, kind of uh, was all around perfect, you know, mini mic. Okay, yeah. Bloomberg is short. No big deal. I mean, I'm five nothing. I'm, I'm cool with that, right? For him asking for a box. But wasn't that guy that I didn't even know was running Castro like super short? Why didn't he get a box? Like, I'm just saying. And, you know, what's interesting is, is that the president himself, uh, you know, stated they're rigging the elections again against Bernie. Like, who are the Democrats really wanting to put out there? It seems like they're making it look like they want Warren or they want Amy Klobuchar or they want they just keep, you know, pinging back and forth like they really wanted Joe. And it's like, where are you going with creepy Joe, not sleepy Joe, creepy Joe. Uh, but it seems like they really want Mike Bloomberg because he's got the money to throw and they're in debt. They are so in debt. The DNC is so in debt that they're going to have to like file for bankruptcy like the the party's over. It's super over. <laughs> I'll see you all right after this break. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, so where we were at, we had just listened to President Trump's great um, uh, interview that he had uh, with uh, Sean Hannity during the Super Bowl, which was nice. And um, now we're going to hear Don Jr. Uh, from this morning on Fox and what he had to say uh, in regards to the fact that his father is still delivering, still making America great, keeping America great, even though the Democrats are trying to win the next election at any cost. They don't care how they do it. They just want to do it. Take a listen to what he had to say on that. We got a member of his family right here. Let's bring in Donald Trump Jr., executive vice president of the Trump Organization and the son of our president. Good morning to you. Morning, guys. How are you? We're good. good. So can you elaborate on that? In what way did your, was your family affected? 
listen, obviously there's the part where you're watching this stuff go down to your father. But, uh, you know, look at me, for example. I mean, I've done 30 hours of testimony regarding a 20-minute unsolicited meeting, right? Meanwhile, Hunter Biden is taking millions, is literally the start of the entire Ukraine hoax. And they don't even consider calling him. I mean, think about it. 30 hours in front of the House and Senate. I had senators on TV saying that this man committed treason. He must go to jail for life. I mean, this isn't even hyperbole anymore. The impeachment hoax started the day my father won the election. Okay, it started. The articles were written during the inauguration. They were typing them, right? The Washington Post made the case for impeachment literally 20 minutes after the inauguration. This is what the Democrats have been doing from moment one. Okay, when they were pushing the Russia hoax, my father was renegotiating NAFTA and he got that done. When they're signing the articles of impeachment, my father signs a historic trade deal with China. That's the difference between the do-nothing Democrats and my father. He's actually getting things done, but he's getting things done despite their unprecedented incoming, despite their unprecedented obstruction. Right. They are not doing anything for the American people, and he's getting it done, and he's going through his checklist one by one. Well, you know how it works. Uh, because the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi didn't want to do it, but she had her super progressive yeah. uh, uh, left flank demanding an impeachment. She delivered on that. Otherwise, you know, all sorts of members of her caucus would have been primaried by much more progressive people. Now, fast forward, she's going to say he's been impeached forever. But the reality is he's going to be acquitted at four o'clock on Wednesday. Well, 100 percent. And that was it. You could see in the press conference. No, no, no. Impeachment. It, it's forever. It's forever. Because that's all they got. Guys, that's literally all they got. That's their little consolation prize because they needed that to do the things. You know, you talk about shift earlier. I have no regrets. Oh, really? You have no regrets? You were trying to call witnesses three days ago. What are you talking about? You blew it when you had it because you never had a case. You just had a media that was willing to accentuate your talking points, that was willing to do this, as they've done with Adam Schiff for the last few years. Again, I was a part of three or four of those major outrage cycles over the last three years where a CNN type, look, we got him this time because Donald Trump Jr. did this, because they got a leak from Schiff's office as I was testifying, right? These things were happening time and time again. There's never a correction for the record. The intent is not to actually win. The intent is just try to manipulate the news cycle in hopes that the average American won't do the research, in hopes that the average American won't see through the lies. But honestly, after three years of lies, uh, you know, it's a little bit of the boy who cried wolf with them at this point. I'd like to see them start working with my father, get infrastructure done, lower health care costs, lower you know, prescription drug pricing, all of these things that my father continues to try to work on despite their obstruction. But I don't think they're capable of it, guys, because they've seen that Donald Trump, an outsider, can come in, can deliver, can go through the checklist of promises and deliver for the American people. And that scares these establishment side people because they've never done that. They've had decades to do that. That's Joe Biden's whole career talking about, I've been doing this for 50 years. And what have you done? The average American can't name a single accomplishment, but they can go through Trump, Trump's checklist very easily. So let's go. Finally, it's going to be official. We're going to get a result. Instead of speculation about reelection, 2020 begins officially today. Iowa caucus. Correct. The president speaking to Sean Hannity last night on the Democrats. Watch. I'm just going to throw out a name, whatever comes to your mind. Okay. We'll start with Joe Biden. I just think of Sleepy. Hunter Biden. Where's Hunter? 
Bernie Sanders? Well, I think he's a communist. You mentioned now Elizabeth Warren. She's not true to it. I call it a fairy tale because everything's a fairy tale. That's how Pocahontas got started. Everything's a fairy tale. This woman can't tell the truth. Michael Bloomberg. Uh, very little. I just think of little. Hillary. I think of email. Pelosi. Uh, I think she's a very confused, very nervous woman. That's uh, her worst nightmares happened. I don't think she's going to be there too long either. I think the radical left is going to take over. Well, uh, the Pelosi aside, the others, let's just look at the, the field. The word is um, that, the, that the Trump team wants Bernie Sanders. Is that true? You know, honestly, guys, I don't know that it matters. Uh, I, I can think of pluses so or different. minuses uh, for all of them. I mean, you know, I, I, I think I, I, I kind of want to run against a communist and Bernie, but he's also got a very, you know, motivated base. He's got people very. that are showing up mm -hmm. for his rallies, right? There's there's a viral effect, sort of like what Trump had when they said we couldn't win. So I, I don't base things on that. I mean, I sort of want to have Donald Trump go up against Joe Biden one-on-one -on -one for five months. I mean, I see Joe Biden in front of a teleprompter speaking to 20 people. He confuses which state he is in at least 50% of the time. Uh, you know, this is not a one-time anomaly that they would destroy Trump for. This is a recurring theme that's happening over and over. And they're going to continue to do so because they have people still in positions of our executive branch that continue to give uh, partial information. Well, they give information and then the Democrats use partial information, kind of like out of context, to make it seem like something's up. And so here's where Schiff, and I've said this before, says that there's documented witnesses that Trump is trying to hide and they'll come out. Listen to this little segment. It's very eye-opening for what's to come. We agree with the President's counsel on this much. This will set a new precedent. This will be cited in impeachment trials from this point to the end of history. You can bet in every impeachment that follows, whether it is a presidential impeachment or the impeachment of a judge, if that judge or president believes that it is to his or her advantage that there shall be a trial with no witnesses, they will cite the case of Donald J. Trump. They will make the argument that you can adjudicate the guilt or innocence of the party who is accused without hearing from a single witness, without reviewing a single document. And I would submit that will be a very dangerous and long-lasting precedent that we will all have to live with. President Trump's wholesale obstruction of Congress strikes at the heart of our Constitution and democratic system of separation of powers. Make no mistake. The president's actions in this impeachment inquiry constitute an attack on congressional oversight, on the co-equal nature of this branch of government. Not just on the House, but on the Senate's ability as well to conduct its oversight to serve as a check and balance on this president and every president that follows. If the Senate allows President Trump's obstruction to stand, it effectively nullifies the impeachment power. It will allow future presidents to decide whether they want their misconduct to be investigated or not, whether they would like to participate in an impeachment investigation or not. That is a power of the Congress. That is not a power of the president. By permitting a categorical obstruction, it turns the impeachment power against itself.
How do we respond to this unprecedented obstruction will shape future debates between our branches of government and the executive forever. And it's not just impeachment. The ability of Congress to conduct meaningful and probing oversight, oversight that by its nature is intended to be a check and balance on the awesome powers of the executive branch, hinges on our willingness to call witnesses and compel documents that President Trump is hiding with no valid justification, no precedential support. If we tell the President effectively, you can act corruptly, you can abuse the powers of your office to coerce a foreign government to helping you cheat in an election by withholding military aid, and when you're caught, you can further abuse your powers by concealing the evidence of your wrongdoing, the president becomes unaccountable to anyone. Our government is no longer a government with three co-equal branches. And I'm going to stop it there. That's true. Executive, judicial, and legislative. Judicial and legislative are corrupt, are compromised, and we have the executive branch swimming just hard enough to keep their head above water because the other two are pulling them down. So now we're going to take a step back into time. Again, take a listen to this interaction. It's going to take some getting used to. What? I mean, being a brother. Oh, you have my home and office number, don't you? You know, I still find it incredible that that I could get anything I want. Anything a man could get with money, privilege, and the best connections. You know, it just occurred to me that um, we're part of the establishment now. Not part. The establishment. And that's coming out. But here's where we go into time. Back into time, okay? And we're going to go to the Committee of the Judiciary, and it's the 82nd Congress, the second session they have, in regards to Senate Resolution 366. And it's a resolution that relates to the internal security of the United States of America. Now, in 1945, General Marshall had left for China. This is going to make a lot of sense to you now with the coronavirus and their cooperation with the United States now in regards to that. Because when I told you this is biowarfare against the Chinese, I was telling you what my little glass says. But here it is. In 1945, General Marshall left and he went to China, okay? And there was um, a very moderate, I would say, the power of the Chinese at that time in 1946, 1945 until June, at least, of 1946, was with the Chinese nationalists, right? The ones that believed in China first, we're going to be great. We're going to be awesome, freedom, etc. But um, Chiang at the time, who was part of the Nationalist Party, right, was chasing communists, what we have now in China since then. 
And they were going north um, and they were envisioning that the Nationalist Chinese Party was going to win and the chances were super high. Though when the general actually got to China, he um, took upon himself to bring about a coalition of government with a directive that we, the United States, demanded to be put in. But the plan failed. And that plan was something of a cooperation between uh, the Chinese nationalists, which were more liberal, right? And they weren't liberal like like what we see today. Uh, they were about democracy. They were literally about freedom. They were nationalists in regards to being proud to be Chinese, but we can be independent. Now, history has never been kind to Oriental wars because we had the Japanese war at the time. We had, you know, the Chinese Civil War is what happened then. Okay. Now you're going to listen to something that might make you feel uncomfortable, but we played a very substantial role into how the Chinese are now communists and why there's communism and how it became because we did it. Okay. We did it. We had this deal with China. So what China just did with President Trump was unprecedented. Because President Xi loves his country. President Xi is more of a national than, nationalist than he is a communist. He's kind of just a, um, he was born into everybody. He was kind of rolled into the communism that was set then. I need you guys to understand that. Because what I'm going to tell you is something that you probably don't even know unless you pull this resolution and you pull the Committee on the Judiciary. Because what happened was because the Chinese government, the Nationalist Party, did not um, agree with it in the summer of 1946, that is when we put the nail on the coffin for an independent China. The U.S. military assistance to China was brought to an end. So we said no more. Not only did we not send them any more military supplies to the Chinese government, but the shipment of war materials that they had already purchased and paid for was also halted. The Chinese had purchased like surplus stuff that we had from like World War II. And we had them parked in Okinawa and other, you know, areas like Guam and the Philippines, like Pacific Islands in general, right? And that shipment was banned from being moved to China. They didn't allow it. There was a complete embargo in the summer of 46. Complete. And we held that embargo for a full year, you guys. We didn't lift that embargo till May of 1947. And uh, our general, General Cheneau, actually testified that the first shipment arrived, the first shipment of stuff they already had paid for arrived in Shanghai in 1948, December of 1948, three years after they paid for stuff. And Shino not only said that, but he said the war material that was actually sent to China after the embargo didn't arrive in any time, <laughs> any shape or fashion time for the Chinese nationalists to use in the field. 
And then we had Admiral Cook, who testified in Congress, that said that the Chinese had a number of divisions equipped with American weapons and arms, right? But when they actually started to get American ammunition, and here, guys, so the war with the communists and the nationalists, so, you know, like the Make China Great Again Party and then the the communists, when they were going to war, that stuff started in like 45, 46. They paid for weapons, the Make China Great Again Party, uh, you know, paid for weapons to get from the U.S. in 1945. And they didn't get the stuff till 1948. So when stuff started coming in after 1948, when they were already beaten to a pulp, right? Lost fronts that they should have won, right? And we gave them money. Uh, you know, it wasn't even good. Because the flow of American ammunition, it was stopped, and so they lost all their, you know, weapons, any firepower. They were totally defeated. So after the 80th Congress had already appropriated $125 million for aid to the Chinese, they were delayed. And when they actually got to the Chinese generals in North China where they were fighting with the communists, guess what? They were there without any bolts or any, they had nothing like the, you would pick up the weapon and it would fall apart. Cause it wasn't even screw. It was like sabotage on purpose, sabotage on purpose. And this wave of communism was being applauded by the Soviets. And this is what blows my mind. We're sitting here and remember, guess who, who were the ones that said no more weapons to China? It was the Europeans and it was the Democrat Party. I'm just making that clear. It was the Democrat Party. So that's the that's a question. Why did our State Department back then send the nationalist Chinese guns with no, you know, that weren't functional, that had no bolts, no screws, nothing? Why? Why did it happen by accident? Did it happen by accident for three years? We delayed it almost three years and then we give them bunk weapons? Is it because it is, you know, you have to think, right? It didn't happen by accident. Okay. You have to understand that this was all part of the plan on how you get the population control and how you get a global order in place. You have to treat every single nation and every single, um, populist group individually. And communism was something that gave uh, a better control uh, to the uh, new world order type guys. All right. And this is like the forties. You guys, this stuff was planned like way before that. And we'll get into it, but this was, you know, in later shows and, and maybe I'll hint about some of that. Uh, so you can see how the continuity is here, but you know, this comes from Truman. I mean, he betrayed the make, China great again camp and brought chairman Mao to power and they had the famine and they brought communism and they established the people's Republic of China. So when you see the coronavirus going, you have to think it was the first time that China decided to side with their people, right? Because the deal with president Trump was good for the Chinese and good for us, but also good for a prosperous future. Uniting the world is what the goal is. You hear them tell you that. You heard it from Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, Hitler, Lenin, Stalin, and Chairman Mao. <laughs> and now the Democrats, they want to unite everyone. Merkel, they want to unite everyone. 
But, you know, the real key player here is Cecil John Rhodes. Nobody talks about Rhodes and how he said that in the end, in the end, it is all about the plan to bring the whole world under British rule and recapture the United States. He even wrote this in an 1877 piece, which he called Confession of Faith. And he said the idea gleaming and dancing before one's eyes like a will-o'-wisp at last frames itself into a plan. Why should we not form a secret society with but one subject, the furtherance of the British Empire for the bringing of the whole uncivilized world under British rule for the recovery of the United States for making the Anglo-Saxon race but one empire? This is where everyone went to study. Oxford. Do I need to name the names of all those that went and studied and followed what Rhodes's writings have been done? These are the things you need to think about. So when we think of the bio warfare now happening to China, you have to think, boy, they really pissed off some really big guys. And you know, President Bill Clinton, General Clark, Strobe Talbot, uh, Senator Bradley, tons of people were Rhodes scholars. And they all work in international banks, boards of corporations, tax-exempt foundations, the Supreme Court. And uh, they work in government offices, of course, Uh, United Nations Association, Council on Foreign Relations, you name it. These are the elitist of the elitist that have gone through as Rhodes Scholars. So you think Rhodes Scholars, that sounds, you know, uh, this is just the group, the society, the one group that's supposed to be pushing it off to get done. We've got um, so many of them out there in so many places. So I think it's time to introduce how we lay a trap. So there's many, many people that have worked uh, within the federal government, uh, state government, military that are very fed up with the whole situation. I've heard, I mean, you've heard Admiral Rogers himself say at one point, I have seen treason like you will not believe. And I take a step back and I say, isn't it treasonous when they act against the good of the people, you guys, when they're acting for what to put us under rule of the crown? I mean, look at Canada. They're changing really quick now that they made that law to bring in members of the royal family. I mean, you know, Canada's a little bit split personality, right? They're supposedly independent, but the queen's on their money, okay? Australia won in the same. We've got a lot of those. So think, is it not treasonous to want to make you a subject while they push and feed you Things of uh, fake words of wanting to maintain your freedom and for love and affection. No, they want to create chaos so that the only solution is for you to become a subject of the crown. In other words, they want to enslave. In the great words of JFK Jr., they want to enslave every man, woman, and child on this earth. Said so by JFK himself. This was their goal. And they have done so with nations across the planet. Reagan was so hated. 
for the USSR falling apart way too soon. Way too soon. The EU wasn't ready for it because the plan was the EU would have been built and then it would have become Eurasia. And that would have been the pressure on the People's Republic of China for decades later to be incorporated too because they will be uncivilized and that they would require the rule of the crown. You know, a lot of strange deaths have happened uh, these past couple of days. And we'll get to that and much more right after this short break where we will continue and expose a couple of names, Rhodes Scholars. I'll see you all in a bit. Real news. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. Always here Monday through Friday, 12 to 2 live, only on Red State Talk Radio, where you can listen to me nationwide on your local station, stream it online through all live radio streaming apps like TuneIn, where you could simply just say, Alexa or Google, play Red State Talk Radio. And I always have uh, the episodes uploaded where you can um, listen to them later uh, through all podcasts, uh, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Uh, you can find me everywhere. So, Or you could just go to ToriSays.com and click on the tab that says Tori Says Show so you can listen to it. So here's where we get into the nitty gritty. Um, and you know, it's kind of like uh, Washington DC has become funky town right now, right? <laughs> super funky, super weird, super corrupt. And we need to keep America great. So the question on everybody's lips is where's the whistleblower? There was a second whistleblower. Where's the informer? Why did corrupt politician shift make up my conversation with the Ukrainian president? Why didn't the house do its job? And so much more. And that's what the point of today's show is. Listen, when they're lying, they can't lie without some truth. And so you have to think who's informing them of conversations. I mean, do you think that the people of the United States were informed that we sent the Chinese broken weapons? Did you think that the Congress and the Senate at that time had informed the people of the United States that they had decided that they wanted communism to prevail in China and tell you how it's done? No, they did it on purpose. They sold the weapons and then they held on to them. That was a scheme that they devised. But now this withholding of Ukrainian aid, super withholding, right? Who would say that, hey, we're kind of like trickling it down. We're not going to not give it to them, but we're trying to figure out where all this money's going and he's checking all the books. So President Trump is checking all the books, dotting all the I's, crossing all the T's. You guys are in trouble. Uh, you need to do something. Who is that? Well, first of all, we had wiretaps, but we redecorated the White House, sorted out the cables, and we spanked the NSA a little bit. Now, everyone's like, oh, it's Eric Sierra Eric Sierra Anthony is his first 
real, it's his actual name is Anthony, uh, is not the whistleblower. He was a front facing guy that was involved in everything and knew how to pass messages along. So where did these messages come from? Because we have people sitting in funky town right now, sitting right there, smiling at the president sometimes in meetings. And I know that this person has been in two meetings throughout the administration who sits there and monitors every single piece of communication that goes through her to get to the president. Not only that, we have a congressional liaison for the whole money projects, allocating stuff that is also involved. So, and then we have another dude, right? Another guy who is also involved. So today, I think we're only going to talk about the key player first, the person that is monitoring emails and communications, allocation of monies first, because I've tweeted her name twice in the past week and a half. Um, and this is how you see where's the informer. Who is it? Not part of the intelligent community, but actually, and I said intelligent, not intelligence, right? Uh, they're dumb. Because we see you. We so see you. Okay? And uh, there is an article coming for it so you guys can actually see it yourself. Um, because the Democrats seem to be getting a lot of confidential information where they can pull things out of context. And some of it may be factual. Some of it may not be factual. Right? But you have to think. We're looking at staffers leaking. You know, media leaking. Uh, you know, within the got the wiretaps down. We got people in the NSA watching. You know, we've got them in order right now. So who is it and we you know i it's like come on guys i've already told you these people are working for very 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 important people now i'd read an article a long long time ago to over two years ago where i wrote an article talking about how there was no defensive briefing on torysays.com. You can go to torysays.com, go into the search bar and just write the words defensive briefing and it'll come up. In there, I explained to you the executive order that Barack Hussein Obama penned in 2016 uh, to create the transitional team for President Trump. Now, um, he created the transition council on May 6, 2016. And he made the executive order where he is allowed to appoint people that are not part of the cabinet and um, how services are being done. On August 1st, eligible candidates were offered transition services and facilities. So that was before the election. September 15th, acting officers were identified for vacant non-career positions, right, for the gaps of or these acting officers that need to be filled. Then there was an agency briefing. Uh, materials are finalized on November 1st. And then November 9th, the president-elect and the vice president-elect are offered support. Guess through who? the Government Services Administration following the election of November 8th. And you're going to be like, wait a minute, who are they? Well, the Government Services Administration is pretty much the people that organize mm, stuff, contracts, business, how we operate. You know, uh, that's basically what they do. And you're going to think, well, well, what is it exactly? Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> how's this? Why don't you take a minute? Take in what I just told you, how this was all done, how this is all known, because if I know it, the president knows it. If the names you're going to hear today, if I know them, the president knows them. So you can see just how things are going. So let's just listen to a little bit of music 
to describe what's really going on. have to move on from this funky town for real because this funky town is driving all of us insane so you're gonna say all right so we've got what so you're telling us we've got all these clowns in the democratic party but we've got lying and in wait some plants within the trump administration that are responsible for what contracts buying stuff buildings you know trade agreements shipments creating stuff like weapons i don't know creating what websites i don't know creating contracts with like you know news agencies i don't know right so here is where it comes down to it 
When Barack Hussein Obama put together these teams and appointed these people, according to his EO, the one thing he did was appoint staff, specific staff, council staff. So the transition directors for council members. So we had like Treasury, uh, Department of Ed, NASA, DOI, Department of State, Veterans Affairs. But then we had like these four random people, right? So one of them was named Nathan Krioger. Um, he works for the GSA. He was coined as a special assistant, according to Barack Hussein Obama, who currently still works for the government. What's funny is, is that he actually had an investment company where real estate portfolios, where this Ukrainian guy is in on it, um, but Ukrainian-American, whatever. And then uh, we've got a United Emirates guy uh, that was the board member of this company, and he supposedly was the founder founder of this real estate investment thing while he was working for the government. So, I mean, there you go. You could be a federal employee for the GSA and make tons and tons of money. He actually, okay, just so you know, he actually worked um, in the Obama administration as well. So this is what's super weird. So he was appointed a special assistant uh, by Barack Hussein Obama. And, um, you know, his job actually is chief of staff, senior advisor. Okay. Right now, I'm just saying right now, this dude, his actual title, his specific title right now as we speak, is that he is chief of staff, senior advisor, okay, to the executive office of the president. Wait a minute. What? So how are you at the executive office of our president as chief of staff and senior advisor, Nathan? He was former deputy chief operating officer and senior advisor. He was the director of White House finance for like eight months. Before that, he was director of finance and acting deputy director of White House operations between February 2017 and June 2017. Before that, he was a fellow at the executive leadership program. He worked as special assistant to the federal transition coordinator by Barack Hussein Obama appointed. And hear this. Before all that, he worked for seven years, almost seven years, just shy seven years, as a contracting officer for federal systems integration and management and federal strategic sourcing initiatives, uh, which is pretty bizarre. So how is this person is, uh, you know, moved up, right? Through the Obama administration, so proud that he's with Obama, has got tons of pictures, loves everything about Obama, but we've got him at the White House right now. I just have that question. How do we have this guy in the White House? So we're not even going to talk about him, but here's one of the guys, Nathan Kroger. That's K-R-E-O-G-E-R. Then we have a Raiden Yano. He was a White House fellow. He was also on the transition team, just so you know. This guy actually now works for UNICEF, okay? Cover much for real. So uh, this guy is now, he left the... Uh, the White House after transition. He was appointed again by Barack Hussein Obama. And now he's the policy and budget officer for the office of the executive director of UNICEF. And he's been there since he left in October 2017 because he was a White House fellow for a year and a half at the White House. Uh, he came in in August of 2015 and left in January 2017. So he was there for a year and a half. And um, now he's working 
working with UNICEF. Before that, he worked for the World Health Organization. Before that, he worked with the Clinton Health Access Initiative. Before that, the University of Tokyo Department of Global Health Policy. And he was a Henry Luce scholar, which are also tied to this, you know, coronavirus. But all right, I digress. He, um, uh, he, this guy, okay, he's a biologist by trade. Um, he's got, he then went into like, you know, health. Um, it's not like epidemiology, but more so like policy and health policy and economics. And then he got a master's in public policy. Now in, at UNICEF, where's he at? Yeah. Do you want to guess what country he's working on? Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. Right. So we hear the Ukraine is uh, pretty attractive for people that were all appointed by Barack Hussein Obama. Now here we have the next person I'm going to give you. And these are the two people that we're going to focus on. So I'll start with the first one. That's pretty out there. I mean, she retweets how Oprah loves her and all that stuff and all that stuff. Uh, she was the chief of staff to the um, Federal Trade Commission, uh, part of the GSA. OK. Oh, and let me just refresh. Nathan, the guy with the investment firm with the United Emirates and the Ukrainians and real estate portfolios that worked through the GSA with all these uh, type things and then now is in the White House. He was special assistant under GSA. And then we had Jamise or Jamise, Jamise, J-A-M-I-S, Harper, H-A-R-P-E-R. She actually has a Twitter and she so proudly tweets how excited she was because she's pinned it to her thing um, for meeting Barack Hussein Obama. So she is now a congressional liaison specialist. Are you listening to this? Congressional liaison specialist. Um... And that's funny because um, a lot of the things are going into Congress, right? Uh, she is a congressional liaison specialist. Uh, she's been there since January of 2017 when President Trump swore in. Before that, she was chief of staff to the federal, sorry, transition coordinator, sorry. Um, and that was May 2015 to 2017. She worked at the GSA in realty serv services. So she would get like public uh, property. She would buy public property. Uh, she's someone we should question in regards to the not being able to budget uh, USAID's properties with what we have at the Treasury. I'm just saying. She did that for two years. Again, she did with PBS Office Facilities Management, which is maintaining all the U.S.-owned properties. Uh, before that, she was part of Barack Hussein Obama's transition team um, for his two 2012 re-election and then um, before that uh, she was always part of purchasing properties and buildings uh, of the U.S. government. So um, believe it or not, she did a lot of inventory management and um, uh, what, what would you say uh, uh, financial management for a company called Trick, Trish Mc. Voy, McVoy. Now, this company itself has been implicated with a lot of our congressional and um, uh, female staffs. Um, they uh, were found to have an investment. It's like a makeup company, I think. Uh, not a big deal. Could just be that they circ you know, run in the same circles. Um, kind of almost like a 
Mary Kay, but kind of different. I can't explain it otherwise. So I'm going to leave it there. Now let's focus on, uh, let's focus on Jamise Harper as the congressional, um, liaison right now for the GSA. So basically she's the congressional liaison specialist, Office of Congressional and Intergovernmental Affairs. She started that job once President Trump swore in and she's been there ever since. That means she communicates with Congress information uh, that is, um, I would say, that has to do with anything assets, okay? Anything assets. So just so you know, like the the GSA does um, federal acquisition services. So they like have like products and services that they use. They, they hire, they fire, they put out um, requests. You know, if you want something, say for example, you want to purchase a new desk, you have to put the request in and then, um, you know, someone will then put out a thing saying, hey, we want a desk. Who's going to give us the best offer unless we already have like an agreement with someone or if we want a new computer, let's Say, for example, that the Government Services Administration has a contract with Best Buy, you're getting it from Best Buy, period. Uh, so they're the ones that um, buy and sell everything we do. That's that's basically what they do. The cool, the weird, okay, the odd thing about the GSA is their emblem and their flag. It's, a, it's, it's bizarre. It's got 13 stars and it's got the eagle sitting perched on a pillar uh, with, uh, you know, casting a partial shadow on a pyramid. Um, that is their logo. It was created in 1949. Um, and that kind of came hand in hand at the time when the CIA was created um, because they uh, they needed to buy desks, weapons, uh, hire people, pay people, pay contractors, vendors, hire them, go overseas, buy property, buy cars, do things. And they needed to mask it. So this is why this was created. It was created to be a pocket where you can exchange all this money um, or request things and assign it or have it done by the book for people that are responsible for ensuring that the budgets are held and that things are done appropriately or not, or how shall I say, discreetly. So this uh, Jamise Harper, she's at Twitter at J-A-M-I-S-E Harper, H-A-R-P-E-R. You'll see her pinned tweet is that of her uh, posing with Barack Hussein Obama. And, And I quote, she says, meeting President Barack Obama, and this is in March of 2017, was truly one of the greatest honors of my life. He's the epitome of class, grace, and humility. So there she is, posing in that picture, pinned on that tweet, um, which I will screenshot rather than retweet. Um, and in and her profile picture is actually a picture that Oprah Winfrey had tweeted out um, that she so proudly talks about. Um in regards to um, books, etc. She's a big proponent of the ACLU. She supports it 100%. You see her retweeting throughout the years that she's been working under the Trump administration. Um, lots of love for Barack Hussein Obama. Uh, you know, uh, lo- she doesn't say anything negative about the president. Um, she's uh, one of those, you know, Black Lives Matter type, you know, always about race, uh, never about unity. And that's pretty odd. Awesome. Uh, so this person is uh, currently, oh my gosh, how can, how much more clearer can I make this? She is the congressional liaison. Okay. So I'm just going to say that again. Congressional li- liaison. I'm just saying that again. 
now we're going to go. I'm okay. Remember, uh, congressional liaison is basically the person that talks between two agencies, three agencies, four. I have a sneeze that's just not coming, you guys. So hopefully it doesn't come out of there. It's been plaguing me. So she is the pers- the middle person of chit chat and talking between two or more agencies, persons, whatever. So <laughs> that is Jameez Harper, who is a uh, very interesting, who is someone that you have to think, well, how is she still in office? Well, you know, people believe that just because the president leaves, you don't need to like fire them all. I actually think you do. It's important you do. Um, see, transition. I just wanted to say the G- the the team was OMB in transition. She works, uh, according to Barack Hussein Obama, he had her under the OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, right? Even though, uh, no, her under the GSA, even though her liaising is between uh, Congress and the OMB. That's what I wanted to clarify. Uh, which, yeah, it could be because it overlaps. But then it gets really curious because when you see who's at the OMB, you're just like, mm, what's going on here? So a congressional liaison, um, they're like uh, specialists in intergovernmental affairs, right? But what do they actually do is is super different. They're advisors. So they like strategically advise people and provide political counsel to the agency. In other words, they reiterate between two agencies information like political counsel. Some of them look at legislation, review legislation that may impact their own agency's mission. Uh, they will also kind of try to make it work, uh, you know, you, like if it's Schiff's office, for example they would be working to make sure that her agency and Schiff's agency are working closely or Pelosi, for example, because yeah, she likes Pelosi. So, um, they're involved in like strategic planning with Congress, uh, you know, and their goal is basically, um, that what, if something actually happened in Congress, like, I don't know that, you know, they all lose their seats <laughs> or a staffer is caught or a contractor they hired in order to place bugs and wires or um, slide in some code on the computer that they hired some contractor to do, um, you know, their job would be there, um, uh, you know, to help you and guide you um, rather than misdirect your efforts to the wrong place. So congressional liaisons, in other words, hold on, because we're going to plow through the commercials. Congressional liaisons literally help Congress move forward. So you have to remember that the congressional liaison helps move info faster. So those of you hoping to go to Congress one day, working in Congress right now, or like me, waiting for Laura Loomer to be elected so they can go in there and fix legislation. Um, this is what you do. The congressional liaison is the fastest way to get a message to and from somewhere. And also, you, um, how can I say, the congressional liaison is to ensure that the agency they work for 
doesn't get in trouble with Congress or that Congress doesn't get in trouble with the agency they represent. So if it's like a congressional liaison for the Department of Interior or in this in this uh, concept, the OMB or the GSA, their job is to maintain that balance. Now, um, also, congressional liaisons may be privy to more information or less information than what's known. So that's important. And any anything. Just so you understand, this congressional liaison is like the whole agency in one. So it's like the representative of the whole agency. So it's very important that people understand that. Um, and it's very important to uh, realize that the congressional liaison can help you get money faster, get a building you want faster, and get information faster. So that is who Jamise Harper is. My, those of you on Twitter, feel free to troll her profile and it will tell you everything you need to know on that point. So now the next person I have tweeted about and talked about is another woman uh, who is who was also appointed by Barack Hussein Obama, who is also now in the executive office. She is literally in the executive office. She works for the president of the United States. These people are right there. Now, this person is one of the most important ones because she's the one that sees all the communications between who? President Trump and um, uh, Mulvaney. And she was there, listen, she was there up until September of 2017. Then she was fired. She was fired in September. Remember, um, I had a show that I did at some point in 2018 where I told you about all the things we found in 2017 and fired a bunch of them. Kind of like we found that spy. We found um, a bunch of people at embassies and we fired them all. We found them. Now, this chick was fired. And she works for McKinsey and Company. You need to look at that. I should do a whole article just on McKinsey. But, um, uh, you know, she was fired. And that was left up to the other people that were more discreet to get into. But she was fired from the OMB. She is, she is responsible. Uh, she was responsible for literally the communications between the president and... Um, the um uh the well the office management and budget basically she was responsible for all the communications in regards to what we're budgeting what we're send, sending what money we're spending where we're putting it who we're putting it to what agencies what money we're allocating remember back in 2017 um just months in how they were like oh he's not spending enough oh he cut this oh he cut that all of that was coming from asthma but the thing is, asthma also worked with other people because the way these people operate is if I get fired, you need to place someone else in. So the question to everyone would be, who did they train in their position? So Nathan is still there. Jamie's is still there. Raiden and asthma have been since fired. Raiden faster than asthma. Raiden actually had to go because he had to train with the farm. So Yano left. Mirza stayed and then was fired. So you have to think, what was it 
that they found because they had appointed her as RMO. So she was like, she was the point of contact for one of the RMOs. That's a very big deal because the Office of uh, Management and Budget and the Executive Office has five of those representatives, right? So one's like national security and all this other stuff. The other stuff is like, you know, they're all separated. So she was like the POC. So imagine leaking. Wait, I'm just saying, imagine leaking. So these are the, these are the people that we've never heard of that I'm telling you of that you don't know exist because there's more of these people sitting within our, you know, state department, like Mike Straw. Why is he still there? Like I've been saying this, he's been a career foreign service officer and he's been Ukraine, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. Come on. Why is he still there? Mike, do you trust him? I don't trust him as far as I could throw him. Why is he still there? That's what we need to ask ourselves. We're concerned about leaks. We're concerned about what they're doing to the president. Then you need to ask yourself, where are they getting these emails? Where are they getting this information? That's the thing. No matter what happens, we need to clean house. That is the thing. We have all of these plants sitting there pretty, and it goes back to the thing that I said at the first hour, which is I was laughing when my grandfather told me in order to have a functioning government, whenever a party loses control, all of the key employees need to go, all of them down to the cleaner. He said that. And I would be like, well, that's instability for a career. And I was like, listen, uh, you know, I, I, what if I work for like the, you know, Department of Treasury and I'm just an accountant and then, you know, my political party loses and I lose my job. And you know what my grandfather said? So what? Go get a regular accounting job. That's it. You just, you're out. It's a temporary position, really good money. You should be out. We shouldn't have career workers in these divisions because what they do is they get politicized. They get comfortable and it's going to seem like, well, that's a lot. No, it's not. It's not. We actually, it's like a military service. I think we should treat working for federal agencies like military service, unless they're politically appointed. If you get hired, you've got a term. I think we need term limits within our federal workers too, because then this happens. You get these idiots in here that came in specifically with that president. They should have been out with that president. We don't keep them over, especially when they're heads over heels. I don't care if you did 30 years there. I don't need you there for 30 years. I need fresh blood. I need fresh meat in there. I need people with fresh eyes. I don't need your eyes from the 50s, your eyes from the 60s telling my newbies that know how to code in their sleep how to work. You need to, and I'm not saying you're a dinosaur. I'm just saying you don't, you shouldn't be in there anymore because the government changes every four to eight years. We don't need the same people being rolled over. That's the way it goes. We need to be realistic about this, completely realistic about it. Because the more we have federal workers, we should have federal contractors. That's what we should have. Because aside from being a law enforcement, aside from, you know, um, being uh, in, in the intelligence community. Other than that, if you're in my treasury department, department of energy, I guess non-high positions, right? Like if you're a scientist, you're going to stay there. You're not going to weaponize your chemistry or weaponize your physics, right? But we should not in administrative positions, in positions where we've entrusted them with very high level information, if they don't proceed into the managerial 
portion of it where they can demonstrate impartiality and they have checks and balances. You know, the higher up you are within the federal government, the more checks and balances you're supposed to have. So if the people on the lower totem pole can actually fix things and then the higher people on the higher totem pole can't even see what they did because they're slicker and they're smarter. This is why we need to keep replacing people so they're not influenced by politics. So if you come in with the Bush administration, you're going to be going out with the Bush administration. You come in with the Obama administration, you should be out with the Obama administration. We can't have holdovers. And I, I, you know, once Greece stopped doing that, look at them now. They have no sovereignty. They don't owe anything. They don't own anything. And they're being plagued by taxes and they're owned literally by Germany. So, you know, look how well that worked out for them. The minute they quashed old school mentality, which was if you come in with one administration, you walk out with that administration and you don't come back. I mean, you can apply for a job with another administration, but continuity should not be key here. Continuity should not be key. And this is why we rotate our military. And I find it imperative that this is something that we really need to take up. And uh, that's something that I'm going to put forward. And I know federal workers are going to be PO'd, but we're going to pay them a lot more money to make it a lot more competitive and have them on a short stint. That's it. And maybe they'll get something for, you know, serving their country for four to eight years, just like our military does. Maybe we'll give them really good health insurance or they'll have federal, like, like a, you used to be a federal employee health insurance, right? And maybe they'll be more eligible to pick up projects than other people would. And they'd be more employable, um, you know, in the private workforce if they've worked for the government too, because you learn skills that you don't work in the, uh, you don't learn the private workforce. Because I think in some sense, we have to like kind of almost privatize our federal workforce and have uh, better, um, uh, more turnover in positions that can cause damage, like this special assistant, you know, that was leaking information to Congress via her friends. And how her friend got away with it, I don't know, maybe because she's black and they're scared. Oh my gosh, it's going to be racist. She's been there for so many years. She shouldn't be there for so many years. That's my point. Because then we get things like this. Oh, I have a whistleblower and another one and another one and another one. No, 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 no. That's not how it should go. It should be the way it should be, which is exactly what I've said. They need to keep moving them along. They need to keep removing holdovers, especially when we see toxic attempts against the sovereignty of the United States of America like we're seeing today. That is how it goes. Because now we had to create a whole space force to fix the mess that they created. We had to create Space Force, that's crazy, you guys. That is insane. Like, how is it possible that we have to create a Space Force to avoid this? You see what I'm saying? Like, this is, this is pure insanity. In order to avoid their attacks on our president, we had to create Space Force. Like, a whole branch of the military. That's a lot. Now, on that note, remember those names. I'll be writing up about them, too. Names are going to be coming out. Names are already going. And I know she has already been questioned. There's more. There's a lot more. Nathan Kroger's one. Why is he still in the executive office? But we're not talking about him today. I just gave you a little spiel of who and what he is. Now, uh, just a few, like maybe in, uh, 30 minutes ago, we had uh, the Senate um, impeachment final day um, live. I want to, I think I saw Pelosi I want to see what's going on there. Give me a second. 
Let's see. The mount. That is just, oh my God. Cult followers in the White, in the, in the Congress is just scary. We should not have that. Voters, listen and vote your conscience. We'll go to, we'll go to Stuart, Florida next. And Joshua, undecided on the uh, articles of impeachment. Yes, hello. So Hi. I'm from a classroom in South Florida, a history class. And one of the things we've learned is that the Constitution is written hundreds of years ago, obviously. So uh, things change over time, and a lot of things are more up for interpretation. So regardless of whether or not you believe... Hey, Joshua, uh, don't, don't, don't want to be... Don't want to be I, I guess we can't hear Senator Klobuchar. Um, thought we'd listen in, but go ahead with your comments. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah. So regardless of whether or not uh, one believes that his actions were impeachable, uh, we're just kind of wasting everybody's time because currently the majority of the Senate is Republican and there's no way that he's going to be removed from office. So, I mean, regardless of whether you think he should be, we're just kind of wasting everybody's time right now and money and tax dollars. Josh, appreciate you uh, weighing in. Let's listen in to Senator Klobuchar, see what she can we, well, what we can it's hear. It's not enough for them to vote for impeachment. It is enough for a bunch of citizens that care about patriotism and someone who puts our country first. It is enough to make them Okay, so that was really weird. Uh, Amy Klobuchar saying that, you know, it wasn't enough to impeach him, but people should vote um, him out. That's not going to happen. That's why you did the impeachment. But okay, uh, let's leave it at that. I want to zoom to some, not the calls. I don't want the call. There we go. I want to zoom to Ken Starr. Give me a sec. Here we go. Listen to this. In a very efficient period of time, That's you, Pat you understand the arguments it's... that we've been making. And at the end of the day, the key conclusion, we believe the only conclusion based on the evidence and based on the articles of impeachment themselves and the Constitution, is that you must vote to acquit the president. At the end of the day, this is an effort to overturn the results of one election and to try to interfere in the coming election that begins today in Iowa. And we believe that the only proper result, if we're applying the golden rule of impeachment, if we're applying the rules of impeachment that were so eloquently stated by members of the Democratic Party the last time we were here, the only appropriate result here is to acquit the president and to leave it to the voters to choose their president. With that, I'll turn it over to Judge Ken Starr, and we'll move through a series of short presentations. Thank you. Mr. Chief Justice, members of the Senate, Majority Leader McConnell, Minority Leader Schumer, House impeachment managers, and their very able staff. As uh, World War I, the war to end all wars, was drawing to a close, an American soldier sat down at a piano and composed a song. It was designed to be part of a musical review for his army camp out on Long Island, Suffolk County. The song was God Bless America. The composer, of course, was Irving Berlin, 
who came here at the age of five, son of immigrants who came to this country for freedom. As composers are wont to do, Berlin worked very carefully with the lyrics. The song needed to be pure. It needed to be about politics, about partisanship. He intended it to be a song for all America. But he intended it to be more than just a song. It was to be a prayer for the country. As your very distinguished chaplain, Admiral Barry Black, has done in his prayers on these long days that you've spent as judges in the high court of impeachment, we've been reminded of what our country is all about and that it stands for one nation under God. The nation is about freedom. And we hear the voice of Martin Luther King Jr., and his dream-filled speech about freedom, echoing the great passages inscribed on America's Temple of Justice, the Lincoln Memorial, which stood behind Dr. King as he spoke on that historic day. Dr. King is gone, felled by an assassin's bullet, but his words remain with us. And during his magnificent life, Dr. King spoke not only about freedom, freedom standing alone. He spoke frequently about freedom and justice. And in his speeches, he summed up regularly the words of a Unitarian abolitionist from the prior century, Theodore Parker, who referred to the moral arc of the universe, the long moral arc of the universe, points toward justice, freedom and justice. Freedom whose contours have been shaped over the centuries in the English-speaking world by what Justice Benjamin Cardozo called the authentic forms of justice through which the community expresses itself in law. Authentic, authenticity. And at the foundation of those authentic forms of justice is fundamental fairness. It's playing by the rules. It's why we don't allow deflated footballs or stealing signs from the field. Rules are rules. They are to be followed. And so I submit that a key question to be asked as you begin your deliberations were the rules here faithfully followed? If not, if that is your judgment, then with all due respect, the prosecutors should not be rewarded, just as federal prosecutors are not rewarded. You didn't follow the rules. You should have. As a young lawyer, I was blessed to work with one of the great trial lawyers of his time. And I asked him, Dit, what's your secret? He had just defended successfully a former United States senator who was charged with a serious offense, perjury, before a federal grand jury. His response was simple and forthright. 
His words could have come from prairie lawyer Abe Lincoln. I let the judge and the jury know that they can believe and trust every word that comes out of my mouth. I will not be proven wrong. And so here's a question as you begin your deliberations. Have the facts as presented to you as a court, as the high court of impeachment, proven trustworthy? Has there been full and fair disclosure in the course of these proceedings? Fundamental fairness. I recall these words from the podium last week. A point would be made by one of the president's lawyers, and then this would follow. The house managers didn't tell you that. Why not? And again, the house managers didn't tell you that. Why not? At the Justice Department on the fifth floor of the Robert F. Kennedy building is this simple inscription. The United States wins its point when justice is done its citizens in the courts. Not did we win, not did we convict, rather the moral question was justice done. And remember, on Friday, we talked about morality and the law and how those two have to have a nice balance. And law is perceived by your morals. You know, I've said this before. Only a few decades ago, it was okay to hang someone in public squares. You know, I was born, you know, I'm, 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 I'm literally one of the first millennials, I'd like to say, right? That's what I'm considered one of the first, you know, batches of millennials. Well, only a hundred years before that, a hundred and somewhat years before that, Abraham Lincoln was president. It's not that long ago. I don't know why they try to convince us that all these people were like from ages ago. And that's like stone ages. You want to talk long time ago? Let's talk, you know, uh, the first king of England. Let's talk about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You know, that's millennia ago. A hundred years ago isn't a lot in our time. Look at what we've accomplished so so quickly within just a hundred years, but you know, for the previous like millennia, uh, you know, previous 1800 years, we didn't accomplish as much, which is so bizarre, but okay. Evolution and stuff. Uh, no help whatsoever. Uh, uh, nope, not whatsoever. Another topic, right guys. But here's where we're at morality and law. And you know, a lot of people might say, I don't see a lot going on. Well, you missed it. Not a lot of people talk about what the New York times, write Cause they fail. But one thing that people missed was the death of someone, Leila Jana. She was a child of Indian immigrants. Uh, she was a social entrepreneur. Uh, she was all into the ACLU. And she started this whole um, thing where she started to hire poor people in like Nairobi, Kenya and stuff in the mid 2000s. And she started to, to give, you know, to give them livable wages for their country, right? Not our livable wages, their livable wages, which is like a dollar a day to do things that would cost us here $15. Well, she died at the age of 37, supposedly from a cancer that was, um, 
uh, pretty aggressive. Uh, you know, she was the Clinton Health Initiative, Clinton, um, you know, Foundation, uh, you know, child uh, of, of, you know, they loved her. She came from immigrants and basically had nothing. And in 2004, she graduated from Harvard. And then in 2006, she was in Africa hiring, uh, you know, poor people. She also worked with Jeffrey Epstein in the Ethiopia Initiative, which I've promised that I'm going to do a show on, but it's not time yet. We need some things to come out first, which was 15 years, 15 years. Are you listening to this? Being in Ethiopia to get what? Get this, okay? Get this. This is how insane it sounds in Ethiopia to study artificial intelligence. Tell me what, uh, don't we see Ethiopians on TV at night where they're asking us to give them money for water and food and they put pictures that are disturbing so that they can make you pry open your wallet? So how are they studying artificial intelligence there? That's a really good question, right? Um, so she died just a couple days ago. So now I wanted to say uh, you should... Stay tuned. Millie Weaver is uh, has, you know, just completed a great expose into the Californian Ukrainian state partnership uh, that was kind of created and exploited by Democrats and rhinos to make money. Okay, make money off of them and make money in general. And um, the impeachment is pretty much uh, something they need. Uh, This is a prelude to stuff that we've been talking about um, with USA that's going to come into play. Um, But again, these bad actors, uh, I think it's very important that we expose California for what it is and what they've been doing and how they've been doing that there. I mean, it's not a coincidence that Hollywood's in California. It's not a coincidence that Adam Schiff moved districts to West Hollywood and who threw his party, the Ukrainian, and how he gave this Ukrainian a lot of money and how Newsom has his own uh, military, the state military, uh, that he sent it out to the Ukraine. I mean, you've heard about it a little bit from... um, uh, Paul Preston with his new California uh, reportings. But I, I say stay tuned because this this report is going to be pretty sweet, pretty awesome and um, something you don't want to miss. And that's going up later on today in the next few hours. Um, she's been working on it a lot Um and um, sources for this are vast and many. Uh, it's going to be pretty incredible. Uh, there's going to be another video coming after that, uh, which is just about USAID, something we've been talking a lot about here. On that note today, I just want you guys to know tomorrow's the State of the Union. I'm just going to tell you that if my memory serves me correct, um, I fear that uh, there is going to be uh, some form of grandstanding uh, in their reluctance to accept the results of the elections, their reluctance to accept uh, the uh, results of the vote for witnesses and more. We've already stated many times Congress should have done their job before they sent them over. They didn't. They had no crimes. They had nothing. This was simply a charade, a charade to gain time. And you have to ask yourself, why are they buying time? What's happening? So tomorrow we expect something. And I hope that something, you know, obviously if my little looking glass can say, we've prepared for it well. And if memory serves me right, it'll be a backfire if they actually follow through. 
Now, I know everyone's saying that on Wednesday it'll be the acquittal, but that acquittal should have happened a long, long time ago. On that note, I want to wish you guys a fabulous evening. And I'm going to a Knicks game today, so I'm excited. I'll tell you all about it tomorrow. God bless from everyone here at Red State Talk Radio. Have a great evening.